Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. Ah, it's so good to be here. You know, Renee was talking about this. We were in small group, which means, aka, it means you go at 7.30 at night with your almost your pajamas on, and you sit, and you cry together, and you eat, and you drink, and you talk about your lives, and we did life together for, I want to say, almost two years together, but it's just, it's amazing to be in the room right now, because... I rem- I'll never forget the night that Renee opened up about this new dream that her and Joaquin had about starting a church. And I remember her saying, I feel like God is like stirring us to do something different and we're supposed to go and there's more in our lives. And then I remember her saying, and we're thinking about Austin and, and Michelle, who was in our core group is like, I just came from Austin like about 10 years ago and now you're going to my home city. And then watching her and Joaquin and what they have built here is just, it's phenomenal. I mean, it really is from a, from sitting in a living room, talking about our future to being here. It's literally like looking at the baby and being like, you gave birth. You're alive. They're cute too. They're very cute. So I am just so, I'm excited to be here. And I feel like it's such a personal moment and I am excited that Joaquin is not here, so he has to have me back so he can hear me preach, because I know he likes female preachers. So um, if you have your Bible on you, you can open it up. Uh, Don't worry if you don't. God will judge you for that. But I'm going to read out of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And um, I am, for those of you that don't know who I am, I'm a wife and a mom. I am married to my husband. Uh, 15 years, and that's a good thing. It's, I, 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 I think it's important that wives are married to their husbands. I don't know, just Google it. But um, I'm also a Christian, which I think ministers should be as well. But um, I've been married to my husband. We celebrated 15 years last month, and so 15 years of glory, and um, it is amazing. I always like to tell the women in the room, my husband is four years younger than I am, and so I think God was waiting for him to become legal so that I could marry him, and... um, and I always say, good meat takes time to marinate. So if you haven't found your husband yet, no, that's a horrible joke. Anyway, anyway, horrible joke. Wow, that, yeah, I did not put that together until this very moment. So let's just extend your hands to, no, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, so we uh, got married, and so I just say, if you don't have your spouse yet, they just probably need to graduate or <laughs> be born. So it's okay. It's okay. Um, and then our, we have four boys. So we had four sons, which is just a shock. I came from a very female home. I uh, have an identical twin sister, and I have a mom, and I have a full Italian dad who's almost a girl. And so we lived in a full female home, and then I started having male offspring and it was unbelievable and now we had four boys in five years and our eldest is 14 and our youngest is eight and it is disgusting in our house in every level it is um i i said they are not allowed to use my toilet um i have to sit so i have to sit with confidence and so (laughs) 
but it has been such a journey, and I'll share more about them, but they are at home, and Ben has all the boys, and he runs all of our marketing and staff, and he is the brains behind the operation he films, and, and we actually spend a lot of our energy uh, really communicating and empowering people online. So we write Bible studies and courses, and I have courses on how to write a book, all the way to how to preach a message, to how to go live online. And then we also have an incredible community called our Truth members, and they're our Truth students, and they really are part of our other community. But I have to say this, uh, we go throughout the whole world, and there is one woman in this room that makes that happen for us. And I don't know if she's still here, but Kristen was here, and she is literally the person that makes the magic happen in my world. And I think she's she's pregnant, and she's allowed to not be. Are you here, Kristen? So she's back here. We love you. And so anything you see online is because of that beautiful woman. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happens. And every once in a while, they let me out to come and minister. And we are at Bethel Church. Um, that's our home church. But we run a ministry called Truth to Table. And uh, that is located in Reading. And uh, like when COVID isn't around, happening, um, then we travel and get to minister and stuff like that. So it is such an honor to be here. I could already feel it when I drove in. I was like, wow. There's such anticipation, and Austin needs this. You can feel it. Uh, it's at war. It's at war with the New Age spirit that wants to come in and wants there to be a focus on everything but Jesus. And what I really want to do tonight is I really want to go back to that reality that we have to get our eyes on Jesus. We have to get our eyes on him. And I want to talk about that tonight. I want to talk about Jesus because that is, I think, the best message we could ever preach. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to actually read this out of the message, so if it sounds a little bit paraphrased, it is. Um, so can we pray? All right. Jesus, help. Amen. It says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down start running and never quit no extra spiritual fat no um sin keep your eyes on jesus who both began and finished this race we're in study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could, put, he, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your, flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, that long lineage and hostility he plowed through, that we that will shoot your adrenaline in your souls. I love this, this phrase. It says, and I just I just love it. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over the story again, item by item. You know, I think we need to be experts in the story of Jesus. And when we start to feel like the world is crashing in on us, we need to go back through each item and go over and over what he did, who he was, did he accomplish what he set out to accomplish. And we get to, we get to learn this story, and it begins to be a part of us. And I think if there's ever a time right now, we need to get our eyes on Jesus. 
I remember, um, you know, uh, it's very interesting. I don't know if you um, get lost very often, but um, I, I rarely get lost. I have a pretty good sense of direction. I live with somebody that does get lost quite often, and um, I'm, I'm his human GPS. Does anybody else have that role in your house? And, um, but, you know, when you're, when you're lost, you know, it can be really kind of intense. And I remember at one point I was uh, in Yosemite. I don't know if you've ever heard of Yosemite, but it's a national park in California. And I'll, I remember at one point we had kind of set up our campground and we hopped on the train, the, the bus, to go around and look at all of the, you know, incredible uh, mountain ranges and hikes and all the stuff. And I remember at one point getting on there and I had stayed late by myself to set up a few things and I was going to hop on the bus and go find my friends. And I remember getting on this bus, and I didn't know uh, where I was going, and I didn't, I, for, I didn't actually know where I, was, where I got on the bus. And so I sat there for three hours on this bus, and finally the bus driver said, you have to get off right now. And so I got off, and it's dark in Yosemite Valley, and I'm wandering around, and I finally feel like I need to, I need to ask somebody for help. So I go up to someone's trailer, and I knock on their door, and they, I said, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. Am, but I'm it's dark and I you know I I'm not a bear wrangler or you know wrestler and so they said okay and they gave me a flashlight and a map and I'll, I'll never forget I grabbed the flashlight and I grabbed the map and I turned to go and I hit my head on their awning they had an awning that I hit it so hard I, ha I just fell to the ground and sat there and I just started crying, and I'm like, this is horrible, and I've got to find it, and I'm going to die in the Yosemite Valley. And I finally wander for another hour, and I finally see my family. And I'm thinking, they have sent out rescue dogs. They have done a prayer chain internationally. They have believed that God would save their daughter, their favorite daughter. And I remember just running to their trailer, and I open the door, and they're all playing cards. <laughs> they're like, oh there you are, Havala. Awesome. I'm like, you guys don't miss me at all, you know, but, but I remember that feeling. And I think we've all been in that place where we, we think we know where we want to go. We think we know where we're, we're headed. And then we kind of have a tendency, but when we get lost, we don't know where we are and our equilibrium is off in our kind of our direction. And what the Bible is saying in here is, you know, it's really important that you know where you're going and it's critical that you keep your eyes on the destination. Because if you don't keep your eyes on the destination, then you will, you will get distracted and you will lose hope and you will lose faith. And I want to talk a little bit more about that in your life. There was a man in the Bible. His name was Peter. And Peter kept getting his focus wrong. When life got worse, he looked around. He got distracted. I was thinking about the life of Peter and as I was studying his life, I remember when Jesus came to call Peter to follow him. And Peter's, you know, at, in the water, he's fishing, and Jesus walks up and he says, Peter, follow me. And the Bible says that he dropped everything and he, he said, I'll, you know, I'll follow you. And he followed Jesus. And we see Peter just have this instantaneous, profound moment where he said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to leave it all. I'm going to go. And then we don't hear anything about Peter until Matthew 8. And we find that Jesus heals his mother-in-law. Now, I don't know if that was a gift or it was a warning because Jesus heals his mother-in-law. And then we don't hear anything else about Peter until there's a moment in Matthew chapter 14 
where Jesus has gotten horrific news about his cousin, John the Baptist, being beheaded, which would affect John the Baptist greatly. And <laughs> you'll get it later. And, um, and Jesus is so profoundly heart sick and heartbroken. He tells the disciples, you guys go ahead. I, I need to grieve. I need to go talk to my father, which I, I love that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And he has this moment where things hurt and pain and he walks away. And the Bible says that he tells his disciples, I want you to get into the boat and go across the way and I'll meet up with you. I'll find you uh, in a little bit. And so Jesus goes away and they get into the boat and they begin to wander out. And the Bible Bible says in verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly after dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They yelled, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter steps in. You guys know this story. He steps in and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water and I'll, 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 I'll come. And then we see Peter gets down out of the boat and he walks on water towards Jesus. And Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. He quiets the wind. He quiets the waves. And then he starts to freak out. Peter starts to think he's drowning. And he begins to yell out to Jesus, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches his hand out and catches him. And he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. Now, I, I love this kind of thought because Peter's having this moment where he sees Jesus. He's building his faith. He's building his courage to do the thing God's called him to, to do the thing that Jesus is asking of him. And there's this moment in the water where he sees him and he says, if you're God, I'm going to come out and walk toward you. And he gets out. I love how it says he climbed down and out, which I just think about that that's how tall and big and this whole thing was. But he climbs out and he begins to walk toward Jesus. But then all of a sudden, the Bible says he begins to look around and the waves and the wind began to terrify him. And the moment he looked at anything but the face of Jesus, he began to sink. The moment he got his eyes off of Jesus' face in that moment, the, but the Bible says he was gripped with fear and terror and not sure of his own life. You see, Jesus was teaching Peter a profound thing in this moment. We think it's a cool story, but I really want you to capture this. Jesus was not teaching Peter how to walk on water. Come on, we're, that, that wasn't like, hey, if you're going to be my disciple, it's the water walking class. Let's do this, and then we'll start, you know, the fire coal walking tomorrow. No, no, like, we don't ever see it again in Scripture, we don't ever see a walking on the water and, what, you know, the 12 disciples and that was their moment. No, no, no. We don't see it again. And why did Jesus have him walk on water? What was the goal? Well, I would suggest that Jesus was teaching Peter about focus. He was teaching Peter that if you keep your eyes on me, you'll be able to overcome anything that seems impossible. He was telling him, I'm going to take my earring off because I can hear it popping. He was telling him that if you, he was teaching him about gaze. And he was saying, if you get distracted by the wind and the waves and the critics and the 
pleasing of man and what people think of you and what they say about you, then you will sink because the wind and the waves are real. There is a real danger out here, but the only way you're going to be safe, and he was teaching him a leadership lesson. He was going to say to him, there's going to be a lot of storms we're going to walk into together. There's a lot of places we're going to tread that nobody's done that before. They've never seen it before. But I want you to learn something. You're a disciple of mine. It's kind of a new season with me. You've never done this before. But the first thing we got to teach you is gaze because you can do anything if your eyes are on me. And this is so critical. And we find that Peter has this moment where he walks on water. It's not like he sank in Jesus. He begins to walk on water. And then Jesus challenges him. When he looks at the wind and the waves and he gets terrified and he begins to sink, Jesus confronts him. He's like, you have little faith. Like when you were looking at my face, you were fine. But the moment you started looking at the wind and the waves, you can't be my disciple and worship the wind and the waves. Come on, you can't actually uh, have real breakthrough and go forward and see radical change in the culture if you're looking at the wind and the waves. The wind and the waves will always be there. Like, I just want to let you in on something. If you're struggling sometimes in your faith and you feel like there's opposition, welcome to being a Christian. I don't know anybody who's not going through anything hard. If you're, going, if you're not going through something hard, stand up. We want to beat you up right now. We just want to. I, I just don't know anybody who's not struggling. I just don't know anybody who's not fighting for what they need and what they have in their life. I just don't know anybody whose marriage is like, you know, I just woke up and I've just been in love forever. And I married, you know, Saint so-and-so and I just love it. No, no. I mean, I know. I love what Ruth Graham used to say that someone said, do you ever consider divorce? And she said, divorce, never. Murder, yes. I do think about murder. <laughs> you know, I, I felt really evolved in my faith and mature until I had children. And, you know, my children, I'm not even sure half of them are saved. But what I do know is that they can, they can bring out the worst in me. I can feel it. It's, it's like they stir it up, and they're, they're working against me. I just know it. And I know there are times when I will say to them, I am the boss of you. And Ben will say, why are you saying that? And I say, it's not for them. It's for me. It's to remind me that I am the boss of them. It has nothing to do with them. I don't care if they get it. I'm just happy you can do this. <laughs> you know, we all have things that we are fighting. We, you guys were in COVID, and not that we want to give glory to COVID, but the truth is we are all fighting a battle. We are in a political war. We are in a national war. We're in an international war. We are all fighting, and the truth is, and I, I want to appeal to us as a community, that we get our eyes back on the author and the finisher of our faith. I want to appeal to us that we stop picking sides and we stop trying. We are all on the same side. We want Jesus. We want to see him glorified. We want to see him lifted high. And if we don't, and we think that some political system or some church system or some personality will lift it up and make it right, then we are deceived. The Bible said very clearly in the book of Matthew that we were not going to see the kingdom of God happen by establishing government and that he, I mean, Jesus, if he wanted to use government, and just follow me for a minute before you judge me because I can feel the judgment. 
Jesus did not come as a king. He could have. He was a king of the world, obviously, in the earth, but he didn't come in a authoritarian government. This is who I am. He came in an organic presence, atmosphere. You know, the Bible says that we are meant to have this, that our faith is like a mustard seed. It's meant to grow and mustard, it grows in a very low and fast growing, organic earth, low to the ground, fast, cannot be stopped kind of movement. That is what the church is always meant to be. The idea of structured and it's going to be legislating and it's going to be this and, you know, we're going to make everybody Christians because it's going to be the law. You know, that's just not in the scripture. So when we put our faith in anything but the organic presence and the reality of Jesus Christ, we are putting our hope and faith in things that will pass away. And so it's so important that we get our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher. We go back through the story. We take object by object, and we remember why he came, what he did, what he promised he would do, and that he fulfilled those promises. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for our lives, that we would end our lives by doing things that he can reward. He's a good father. He cannot wait for us to get to heaven so he can say, I saw that, and I saw that, and I saw that, and I saw that. And I love that reality of Jesus and how he does that. Is my mic okay? Is it? Okay. And so it's really important that our eyes are on Jesus. In fact, Jesus even says, you know, to Peter, and he's looking at me, he says, Peter, I'm teaching you that my gaze is enough. I remember when I was a young woman when I learned this lesson. And I love to tell the story because it is the, it's the story that makes me who I am. And I was a 17-year-old church girl who did not feel or believe that I had a call in my life or that God could use me. And it really was rooted in a lot of self-doubt and even self-hatred towards myself because I felt like I was missing something. And I didn't always know that I wouldn't have been able to articulate that, but I came from a very successful family. My dad's um, dad was a congressman four terms, um, and all of them were kind of a very educated, elite group of people, and then even when they got radically saved, they started movements and ministries. CCLI, you'll see it on the screen. My uncle started CCLI. We have mission movements that are still going throughout the earth, and this is my family. And at third grade, I'll never forget when my teacher called me out and took me to the principal's office and there was a woman there. And that woman said, I'm going to give you a few tests and we will see, you know, uh, how you're learning. And I remember spending about an hour with her as she began to test me on different things and I got home that night and my parents said, well, Havala, the woman that was there tested you and we found that there are some issues in your learning. You are dyslexic, so you have a, you switch some things around, but you also have a reading and comprehension issue and uh, it's just going to be a battle for you. And I remember not knowing much and I kind of could hide it in grade school, but as I got older, I began to realize how detrimental this was to my life. And by the time I hit high school, I could not read out loud. You would not have been able to read my handwriting, which was unfortunate because I was not going into medical school. I, uh, I, I could not talk in front of anybody. I would get a zero. I would never get up in front of people because I did not like being humiliated. And I remember when the teacher would say, let's all read this, let's take turns reading, I would sit in my seat and count the paragraphs over and over and go through that paragraph over and over in fear that I would say it wrong. 
And so I had this huge fear inside that I was uneducated, I was illiterate, and that I could not be powerful. And so I spent my energy hiding and being super social and really loud and a little inappropriate to get people to not know what was happening. And at 17, I had gone to church one night, and then some guys picked my sister and I up to go to a party. And when I got in the backseat of this car, the music is blaring, and all of a sudden, I'll never forget, I hear the voice of God speak to me. And he says, Havala, what are you doing? And I remember, it was like, I couldn't believe he was talking to me, and at 17, I definitely was not making this up, because I was not thinking about God at this point. And I remember, I didn't know what to do, but I felt this compelling kind of, I need to say something. And so I shouted to the guys in the front, can you turn the music down? So he turns the music down, and I am so gripped with what he's saying to me. I say this to the guys, I have a call of God on my life. <laughs> it went over so well, and, um, and it's dead silent. It's dead silent. It's dark. It's raining. I'm in the back seat, and it's dead silent. And as it leaves my mouth, I realize how insane this is that I'm saying this. And then I realized my sister's in the car, and she probably wants to kill me because I'm killing this night right now. So I look over, and her and I are, I mean, I can read her by her looks. Are you, did anybody have somebody in your life like that? I mean, my sister and I are so close. We were married six months apart. Our first babies are nine days apart. We're identical mere twins. So I'm left-handed, she's right-handed. We look exactly alike in so many ways, and we sound alike. I mean, I'm clearly cuter, but mostly similar. And, and um, our second babies are three weeks apart, and our third babies are three months apart. And they all have the same dad. No, they don't. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They don't. I'm just kidding. You guys are sick. You guys are sick people. No, her husband is completely opposite of mine. Mine's this little skinny white guy, and her husband's this big six-foot-three British guy, and he will, they will get us mixed up, and he will hug me, and I will yell, I'm not your wife! And I get pregnant very quickly, so please back away! And so I look over at my sister in the car, and I'm like, she's going to kill me. But as I look over her, she's crying. And then I begin to cry because this is supernatural and sovereign. We shouldn't, this shouldn't be happening. And then I said this to them because I think when we hear the voice of God and we follow the will of God, we are instantaneously filled with compassion for anyone. And all of a sudden I said, I'm going to serve God. This is what I'm going to do. And you're welcome to come with me, but I've, I've made my decision. And still dead silent in the car. And when I look out the window a little bit later, I realize that these guys had brought us home without us asking. They were like, <laughs> they're like, we can still get those other girls. Quick. And so we get out of our car, and I remember wandering into my bedroom when, that night. It was pitch black, and I'm, I'm kneeling there. And I lifted my hands to heaven, and I said, God, I'm not much. I'm young. I'm 17. I'm a girl. Not sure that that's not a liability in, the, in ministry. And I have no special gifts. In fact, I am, I'm kind of broken. 
But if you can use anyone, you can use me. I'm available. And I remember sitting there with tears streaming down my face as I'm telling him this. And have you ever said a prayer where you thought, this is the moment heaven's going to open? Like, I'm going to see. And there was a ladder and angels ascending. And, you know, I remember thinking, this is it. And I looked around like, where's the supernatural moment? And nothing happened. And I remember turning off the light and climbing into bed that night. But what I didn't know was that something very much supernatural happened in my life. You see, when we confess it with our mouth and we believe it as true, heaven begins to move on our behalf and we begin to start a supernatural life, whether we have the manifestation or not, which is a distraction most of the time. Because you'll have to make decisions all along the way that have nothing to do with what you feel or experience. It's what you know, right? And so we literally, I remember telling God that, and God began to awaken. And if it was like I had a, a visual picture of myself that night, it would have been that Jesus was standing, and I was in the wind and the waves. I was in the fear of man and the, and the inadequacy and my, uh, the, the intelligence that I was lacking or, or the education. or I was lacking all the things that kind of, I always felt kind of bland and nothing special. And, and now I'm sitting here in the wind and the waves of all the reasons why I can't walk on water. And Jesus is saying, look at my face. Get your eyes on me because this is the safest gaze you'll ever have. And this gaze is going to contain all of my life and contain all of myself in this moment if you will look at me. And this is the reality of where we are right now. If there's any a time when we need to get our gaze on Jesus, it's right now. Jesus was virtually telling Peter, keep your eyes on my face, Peter. You're going to need it in the days to come. Keep looking at me as you walk on many waters. You see, it's at the moment we understand that fear and doubt are distractions to seeing Jesus, we will finally get free from fear and doubt. You see, you've got to be aggressive with your fear. You've got to stop believing that when you have the money and you have the opportunity and you have the anointing and you have the prophetic word, then all that fear and anxiety and all that stuff's going to go away. It's not going to go away. It's a battle that rages against the believers. And we have to stand up and not allow fear and anxiety and shame to come against our story. We have to actually be willing to get into a place of getting to where the battle is. You see, some of us are like, well, I don't even, I don't know what to do. You need to get toward the battle. You need to go towards it. Instead of hoping that nothing ever touches you, you need to get on the offense. Instead of being afraid that someone's going to say something or what's going to happen, you need to be clear that I'm not confused about what I believe. I'm not confused about who Jesus is. I'm not confused about what he's going to do. And it doesn't mean I dismiss you and don't, don't want to hear you, but I'm definitely not going to be changed or altered. I know my Redeemer lives. I'm not confused by that. And so it's very important that we get our eyes on Jesus. I remember when I had to fight... Um, when I had to fight fear and anxiety, and this is where I think our distractions is, is fear and, and anxiety. But I remember at one point after that night in the, in the room, about, it, about a year later, I was telling somebody this story. And the guy that was standing at this conference in line with me said, I'd like you to share your testimony tonight at the conference. And I was like, okay, I, I'll do it. Have you ever said yes to something and then realized you should have never said yes? 
and the fear grips you and you feel like I'm going to die right here from, I should not be doing this. And so I, I, he goes, I want you to get up after worship and share your story. Now, remember, I had taken zeros and everything. I never got up in front of anybody. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, I'm realizing I'm going to get up in front of 6,000 people that night and share my story. And I'm the girl who never could get up in front of 30 people in her class. And so as we, I'm kind of ignoring it all day long and finally worship begins, right? And you're hearing this momentum and 6,000 people in LA and they're worshiping and I'm having a panic attack. And I remember running out of the building and want, running around it and I'm behind the building. I can't, I can't just, and I can't breathe and I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. My dad happened to be at that event with me and he knew I had disappeared and he's a minister so he knew it was going to be ready for me to get up and he comes wandering around the building and he goes, Havilah, what's going on? And I'm like, I just, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. I can't do this. And he grabbed my shoulders and he began to hit me. No, I'm kidding. He grabbed my shoulders. We're Italian. He grabbed my shoulders and he looked me in the eye and he said, Havilah, if you don't look at fear as your enemy, it will defeat you. And I remember I had to make a decision at that moment. Was I going to serve fear or was I going to be a woman of faith? And I think we're, I mean, I know that can sound really simple. Like, are we really at that place as a, in a message? Like fear of it? Yeah, I think we are. I think we're at a place right now where we prop up our fear by certain things happening and certain people believing in us and certain things being said about us and certain things, you know, being in the bank account and certain, and I think we still are propping up fear. We're making it look good rather than kicking fear in the face and saying, no, I see you and I will not be led by you. Sometimes when I get gripped by fear, I start preaching to my fear. And I say it out loud, and I don't care. I'm just like, fear, I see you. You don't get to lead me. You're not the boss of me. You're never going to be the authority in my life. You might, you might think that you have authority in my life, but you do not. And you need to go to hell just where you came from. And we got to be aggressive. So getting our eyes on Jesus is critical. Fear and unbelief will be a battle for us. So we first have our fear and doubt of it, but then we also oftentimes can have a battle that's not just fear. I was thinking about this. Do you guys remember the next kind of scene in Peter's life? So initially we see him, Jesus says, come follow me. Peter drops it all, follows Jesus. The next kind of scene we flash to is in the water. He walks on water and Jesus is teaching him about gaze. Well, the next major scene that we see with Peter is when Jesus is going to go to the cross. And they go to the garden to pray. And Jesus is having this heart-wrenching moment of, Father, please take this from me, but I'll do it for you. And then all of a sudden, as they're getting up to leave, Judas, one of the disciples, comes into the garden with armed soldiers, and Peter is having this moment. Where he's like, oh no. Like it's in the movie where you're like, they were a traitor. Because Jesus had been talking about a traitor, and Peter kept saying, it's not going to be me, it's not going to be me, and everyone's saying, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me, it can't be me. And all of a sudden, Judas walks up, and could you imagine the atmosphere in the garden when Judas walks up to Jesus and kisses him? And I love Peter because he's so human, and he's so me. 
You know, I'm like, this is what I would do. He grabs his sword and he cuts the guy's ear off. Like, this is a good moment in scripture. This is bloody. This is anger. And what I love about it, and I just want to just propose this idea, that he cut his ear off and it's a warning sign to say, I could have got your head, but I was giving a little grace right now. <laughs> and I get this because this is where I'm seeing injustice. This is wrong. You're betraying Jesus. You've walked with him. You've lived with him. You've seen the miracles. You know that this was going to happen, and yet you still have the audacity to walk into the garden and kiss Jesus, knowing you were going to betray him, knowing that he was going to go to the cross and die. And, and Peter begins in anger to say, this is unjust. This is wrong. He's not saying it, but I'm, I'm just saying with his actions, he's like, I'll fight for you. I'll go to the, I'll go to the death for you. I will, I'll battle it out. Let's do this. And Jesus does something so incredibly critical for us to understand. Jesus walks over, grabs the ear, puts it on the man, and the ear is instantaneously healed. Come on, guys. In the middle of the greatest battle, Jesus is still handing out miracles. And then we see, I love Jesus. He's probably like, you idiot. <laughs> like, I've been cleaning up your messes for a while. Give me the ear. Let's do this. Right? Like, Peter. Like, you're going to see the dad look like, mm, give it to me. Come here. All right, let's do this now. And then Jesus says to Peter, I mean, it's just so profound. He, well, he says, I won't read it all to you, but he basically says to him, this war is not going to be won by violence. I had a different system that's happening here. I'm, I'm going to win this war in a whole different way. And I think what he was saying is, as believers, we can be distracted by injustice. And we have every right to know that it's wrong. We have every right to say that is wrong. We have every right to say that was an injustice. But what I've seen as believers is we can get so distracted by what is just or unjust that we miss what Jesus is doing. Maybe Jesus isn't asking you to do the lawsuit. Maybe Jesus isn't asking you to blast that person or, you know, put them on, put them on, uh, on, on, on note, notice because, you know, well, you got to just know about this person and I got to fight this and this is the right thing. And I just want to, I want to ask you a simple question, which is, did Jesus invite you into the battle or did you start the battle and ask him to come in it? Because I see a lot of us believers, and I'm this way at times. I start a lot of things and then ask Jesus to come help me. And instead of maybe in this season of our culture, instead of us trying to start things and asking him to, to fight for us, what if we said, I don't really know how you're going to win this war. It all kind of feels unjust and wrong. But I want, I want you to win, and I want to be a part of that. And so I'm willing to let you heal and solve it in a way that I have no ability to understand. Guys, we are not going to know how Jesus does it all. We are not going to know how he's going to do it all. We know what he can do, but we, there are miracles and things that we cannot see. We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know when he's going to do it, but we just know in faith, we keep our eyes on him and he will do what he said he will do. So distraction of self-preservation can really be that. And we've got to, we've got to be aware of that. And then lastly, we see the last distraction in Peter's life is the self-preservation distraction. And we see this because this is the final scene 
before Jesus' death. And Peter's at the, at the cross. And people are starting to recognize him. And they're saying, weren't you with Jesus? And weren't you with Jesus? And Peter's like, no, I'm not. And, you know, absolutely not. And he's starting to deny. And at one point, you know, he's, he, he finally denies him on the third time. In the, and the Bible says that the rooster crows, right? Like all of a sudden, Jesus said, by the time that rooster crows, you're going to, I don't know if it's a rooster. Is that the right word? I don't know. But you know what I'm saying. That, that animal. Wait, I got to look at this. This is what happens when you have children and your, your brain goes away. Yeah, your rooster. The rooster crows. Very important that I got that right. Um, but he says, he finally, the, it crows, and he's sitting there, and he realizes what Jesus had said. And he it says that he broke. I think that there's a part of our story where our eyes have to be on Jesus, that when people accuse us, when they start to, you know, uh, uh, unpack our loyalty to truth when they start to say are you anti this are you for this and we start to well you know I don't know I'm not sure I think there's a part of us where we have to actually go self-preservation is a dangerous thing and it's gonna I'm gonna become to a place where I'm either gonna deny that and follow Jesus or I'm gonna serve that and I love what I love what happens because Peter breaks and I don't know about you but I would be humiliated like, Jesus literally was like, hey, they're going to walk through the door, and you're going to say this, and, you know, and, and it's like he gave, he gave them play by play of what would happen, and it still happened. You would think, well, he probably warned him. No, no, he had warned him, but it all happened, and Peter, this is so profound, he breaks, and I don't know about you, but Jesus has been trying to teach Peter this lesson through the wind and the waves, through the injustice in the garden through this moment at the cross, and Peter finally breaks and humbles himself and realizes, my gaze has been on everything else, but the first lesson he was trying to teach me, which is get your eyes on me. And we don't see anything from Peter until the book of Acts. And all of a sudden, we find that there had been a group of people, remnant, that were beginning to pray for the Spirit of God to come and the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And we find 120 of them are gathered upstairs, and they're beginning to pray. And all of a sudden, the fire comes, and they begin to speak in a heavenly language. And it's that, I mean, it's just profound. And people begin to hear it, and they go out into the streets. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, what's going on? And there is a man that rises to the occasion and begins to preach that leads to the first revival recorded in, his, in, in biblical history. And that man is Peter. So Peter goes from sinking in water and cutting guys' ears off and denying Jesus at the cross to this moment. And I could just see it prophetically. He has now got his gaze on Jesus. And everyone's going, what about this? And these guys are crazy. And, they're, and he is just drowning it out. He's like, my gaze is on Jesus. Who, this is who it was. This is the author and the finisher of my faith. He who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. And he's got his eyes. And they're saying all kinds of things. And he is you used by the power of God to break out in revival that is still happening today. The reason you're in this room is because Peter got his gaze on Jesus. And this is what I want to challenge us on, and I am right there with you. This is not like what I would do is I'm saying, I feel like if you ever had a kid that's all over the place and you have to grab their chin and go, sweetheart, look at me. No, look at me. 
This is what's happening in the spirit right now. The spirit of God is grabbing our face and he's going, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still working it out. I'm going to help you. Get your eyes on me. And many of us started out with our gaze on him, but because we got a little smarter and we got a little more money, we got a little more influence and we got a little bit more hardship and trials or whatever it is, we can easily be distracted. And what I think we need to do, and I know you're that kind of person that this is a big deal because you wouldn't be here tonight if you weren't. I already know you're good people and you want this. But I think there's a part of us where we have to go back to the basics. We have to stop playing things like playing church and actually go, Jesus, where are you? I see you. I need you. Help me. And I really think, I think that there's a humility that comes when we know if I don't have his gaze, I don't have anything. And I don't want to live life if I can't see him. I have no hope without the face of Jesus. I have no belief without the faith. I don't know how everything's going to turn out, but what I do know is that I have a Savior who's come to save the earth and save the world, and I, am, I belong to him. And so my, my appeal to you would be to stop focusing on everything else and get your eyes back on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. He leads people to Jesus, over 3,000 people. I love this reality, and I think we're at a breaking point in our culture and in our lives where we've lost sight of who he is and what he's done and what he can do. And I want to challenge us tonight. This is a really unique place. I know that you're worshipers. I know Joaquin and Renee. Like, I know that they bring that I know that you guys are hungry for the presence of God, but what I'm asking for is a, not just an atmosphere of everybody doing the same thing because we're in the same room, but I'm asking that when you go to work on Monday and you drop your kids off at school and you do, you have a, a, a marital issue that you're talking through, that you, that you stop looking at all of this and you get your gaze up and you put your head up and you look at Jesus and you know you can do this. I cannot do this. I am man, but you are God. I trust you. And we go back to our first love to say, you can do what you said you would do. You were the only God that did what you said you would do. You're the only God through history that said you would be this and you would do this. And history records the story. Even the unbeliever says Jesus did all of these things. It's recorded in history, guys. This isn't like, well, the Christians wrote this Christian story. No, no. If you read it, there are unbelievers that will say Jesus was alive. He did these things he was, his grave was empty. We see the reality of that. And so I want to pray for you tonight and minister for a few minutes. I think someone probably could come up here and begin to play for a moment. But I just think that there's this, this moment right now where we can, we can get our eyes on him. I want you just to settle yourselves for a minute. You can close your eyes, set your stuff down, maybe tell the person when you need to leave, whatever you need to do, because I want us to take a minute where we really focus on who he is. And just, you can close your eyes. It's not, not more spiritual. It's just to kind of cut out distractions. And everyone just take kind of a deep breath, like, okay, I need this. I need this. I want you to begin to think for a moment, when was the first time you saw his face? 
Just think about it for a minute. When was the first time that he got your gaze and you knew I'm always going to be in love with that face? When was the first time that he wooed you and you knew I'm in this, I want to be with you, I need this? I want you to return to that moment in your heart. I want you with your own words just to say, Jesus, I see you and I love you. Jesus, I see you and I love you and I need you. Just tell him right now with your own words, Jesus, I love you, I need you, I see you. For some of you tonight, the truth is, is that you've never, you've actually never had your eyes on Jesus. You've never had a moment where you've given your life entirely to him. You might have been someone that was brought to church or maybe your family was believers or maybe you've just been coming, but you've never had a backseat in the car, I'm following Jesus kind of moment. You've never gone public. You've never had that moment where you know I'm with him. This is where I'm going. And you have never given your entire life to Jesus Christ. And you're, if you were to die tonight, you're not sure that you would make it to heaven. That's not set for you because you can't remember the moment that you entirely surrendered to his lordship. If that's you and you have never done that before and you would like to do that, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up at me and just, just acknowledge that that's you. Good. Anybody else? Just wave at me and say, that's me. I want to do that. Good. Anybody else? Excellent. Anybody else? Multiple hands. Anybody else? You've never done this before. Good. I see you. Some of you tonight, you would say, you know, Havala, I had my eyes on Jesus. There was a moment when I had the back seat, but to be honest, I have lost his leadership and authority in my life. I've lost the reality of my gaze. I am not serving him. If you looked at my phone, you looked at how I do life, you looked at my relationships, you would see that I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. And people might think that I am, but I'm not. I'm not living for him. And I want to return to him. I want to come home. I want to come back to him. I, want to, I don't want to be overwhelmed by the wind and the waves. And you feel bankrupt inside because you know, I, I need him. I don't know how to come back, but I need to. If that's you and you need to return home, just lift your hand and say, that's me. That's me, Abile. It's, it's time. Good. Lots of hands. Anybody else? Yep. Anybody else? That's me. Don't be afraid. You know what? Say no to fear and shame right now. Don't, let, don't bow down to that. This is the moment when you get to tell the enemy you don't get to control my story. Just lift your hand and say, that's me. I acknowledge that. Anybody else? I even see a young one. You're like 13 years old, and you're kind of battling, thinking, am I old enough to do this? And I want to say, yes, you are. Jesus knew his father's business at the age of 12. You absolutely can say, I want to follow him. If that's you, just lift your hand and say, that's me. Good. And some of us tonight, you would say, you know, Havilah, I'm faced with the wind and the waves right now, and I need to get my eyes on Jesus. And I'm feeling like I didn't realize that I was focused on injustice. I didn't realize I was focused on fear and overcoming doubt. Or I didn't realize that I was focused on self-preservation. And I, I want to rise up. I want to get my eyes on him. And I, I haven't been doing that. And it's time for me to do it in a more radical, powerful way. And I'm, I'm in. I want to do this. If that's you, I want you just to stand right where you are. 
don't hesitate, don't stop. You're saying, I need this right now. There it is, just stand right now. I need a radical encounter of his gaze right now. It doesn't matter, you're the only one that's gonna know what that means. I would have, I could have stood multiple times this year by saying, I gotta get my faith focus on him. I gotta focus, just stand right where you are. Don't be afraid, don't hesitate, just right now. I'm here, I need a radical moment that says, my eyes are on you, Jesus. My eyes are on you. Just stand right where you are. If you also prayed any of the other prayers, I want you uh, to stand as well. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. But I want us all to take a minute right now. You're standing and you're saying, I need my eyes on him. Some of you, your focus is on your ex so much that they're, they are ruling your life. I felt it right now. There was an ugly divorce and that story has haunted you. And I feel like the spirit of God wants to break that story off of you, that you would not be bound by that narrative anymore, but you would be free tonight. I just saw it like God was, un, he was erasing all the negative storylines that have kind of kept you bound and he was giving you a clear line a clear line if you stood I want you just to lift your hands as a sign of surrender just lift them for a minute say Jesus say it out loud with conviction Jesus my eyes are on you my gaze is on you I want to see you above the wind and the waves I want to see you above the injustice on the earth I want to see you above my own self-preservation. I look to you, Jesus. I look to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, just touch him right now. Spirit of God, touch him right now. Radical encounters right now, God, touch him right now. It is not too much. It is not too late. It is not over. It's not over yet. And I just declare that over them right now. It is not over yet. The Spirit of God is coming to rescue you and set you free. He's going to lift you out of the winds and the waves. He's going to lift you out of the injustice. He's going to teach you who he is in this season. And you don't need to be afraid. You're not going to miss it. He's there. His gaze is enough. Listen, his gaze is enough. You might be single and like, I want I want somebody in my life. And he's looking at you saying, sweetheart, my gaze is enough. Get your eyes on me. You might be married to somebody you think doesn't, doesn't understand and can't get it together. And he's saying, get your eyes back on me. Stop focusing on the person changing. That is not going to serve you well. Look to me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know if we can sing something, but I would love it if we could sing for a minute. Let's just all stand for a moment. I have a few prophetic things I want to share, but I want us just to take a moment and not focus on the prophetic and focus on his face for just a minute and give him that glory that he deserves and honor him and get our gaze on him and so I want us to sing to him I want us to sing about him and get our hearts set for him thank you Jesus let's sing together thanks for listening to the sermon of the week for more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.